0: Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. Hey, you made it! Daylight savings and you still made it to church. Everybody give yourself a pat on the back. Fantastic job. I usually set my alarm for 5 a.m. and I told myself, you know what, I'm going to sleep in a little bit tomorrow. I'm going to wake up at 6 And then I woke up at 6, and I realized, no, it's still 5, which was a big bummer for me. But that's okay. The Lord knew that I needed to get up when I needed to get up. So, hey, I'm super excited for this Sunday. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here at New Beginnings Fellowship. So all of that business that you just heard about an auction coming up, we need you here. Please come here with your pocketbook ready. Because we're going to raise some money to help kids go to camp. But that's that's for another time, another day. Um, today we're talking about Philippians. And we've been going through this letter uh, from Paul to the church of Philippi. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be spending most of our time in verses 19 through 30. I love the book of Philippians. I love it. It's one of my favorites. There are so many places in there that if you're anything like me, just as a believer, um, as you read them, the Lord just opens your eyes. He encourages you. He uplifts you. You are drawn into a place of worshiping the Lord as you read this letter. It's a beautiful letter. And so I was eager to say the least to figure out which passage I was going to get to teach and preach from for you all today. Uh, And when I found out the passage that I was teaching on, um, I'm not going to lie, I was a little disappointed. Um, At first glance, it... You know, Paul, he hits it grand slam after grand slam throughout all of Philippians. And then you read this passage, and honestly, it's one that I just glance over most of the time because it, it at first glance looks like travel plans.
1: And so I read it
0: and I was like, really? Travel plans? Lord, that's what I get to preach on. Uh, and then I got super, super duper convicted by Orion's uh, sermon last week because Ryan, he read the words, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And I was like, dang it. Because the Holy Spirit just reminded me, hey, uh, you have this opportunity to be able to encourage people with my word. And that's pretty cool. And so uh, stop complaining. So uh, I, with some prayer and some confession and just asking the Lord to look at this passage with fresh eyes, um, the Lord was faithful. And I am actually really excited to be able to uh, teach you guys from this passage today, because honestly, it is so much more than just travel plans. The Lord has uh, encouraged me. He has drawn closer to me through this passage, and so I'm eager for you guys to get the same opportunity um, as we read Philippians 19 through 30. Before we do, I have an article written by Tim Chester that I want to read to you guys because um, the things that he talks about in this art- article, I believe that they really set us up well. Um, for what we're going to read today. Brace yourselves. It is a little bit of a heavy topic, but I feel like um, it's perfect for what we're talking about today. So on Tuesday, January 3rd, 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries landed a small, on a small strip of land in the jungle of Ecuador. For years, they had been dreaming and planning of this moment. Their hearts were set on reaching the Aka Indians for the good news of Jesus. The Akas were a notoriously dangerous tribe. Many had tried to reach them before. Some had exchanged gifts with the Akas, but it always ended with the Akas attacking them. For 3 months the missionaries would fly their plane over the jungle and drop gifts down and sound out greetings to the tribe. And it came to this moment where as they landed their plane, they built this hut and waited for the Akkas to come to them, hoping that that was enough. They knew the dangers. Their wives had discussed the possibility of becoming widows. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, says that they went simply because they belonged to God because they knew that he was their creator and their redeemer. They had no choice but to willingly obey him. And that meant obeying his command to take the good news to every nation. On Friday, January 6th, three Akkas, one man and two women, approached them. They exchanged greetings. And the missionaries got to show them rubber bands and yo-yos and balloons. And the man even got to be taken up in the plane. It was a very exciting interaction. On Sunday, January 8th, they were due to radio at 4:30 p.m., and there was silence. When no message came, a plane was sent, and then a the rescue party. Four of their bodies were recovered, all lanced to death. The fifth was never found. It seems as if they were ambushed. All five were martyred for the sake of Christ. All were married. Four of them were fathers. One wife was pregnant. Her three-year-old was heard to tell the new crying baby, never you mind when we get to heaven, I'll show you which one daddy is. Jim Eliot once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Eliot had seen through the lie of consumerism. He had seen the emptiness of all this world offers. He had realized a far greater value of the new creation that God promises. With that in mind, Let's read our passage together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth I was a son with a father. He has served me in the gospel. I myself hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I find out how it will go with me. And I trust that in the Lord, that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need for he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm eager, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to read it and to apply it and reteach it to others. Lord, I pray that you use this time today to draw us closer to yourself and fashion our hearts to be more like yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we've been reading through Philippians, uh, we, we've mentioned a few times that Paul, he writes this letter to the church, and um, the, the purpose of him writing the letter is because he wants to visit them, but he can't because he's in prison. And so... Uh, he's unable to visit this church that he misses so much. Uh, and he's really at this place where he's not sure if he's going to live or die. So he writes to the church to encourage them, to lift up their spirits because he knows that they're worried about him, and uh, to remind them of his why, why he's doing what he does. And so um, that they would continue in advancing the gospel. With boldness. So he writes to the church, <laughs> and up to this point in Paul's letter, we have seen some really important themes kind of arise. The first would be that he wants the church to be laser focused on advancing the gospel, laser focused on advancing the gospel. And he emphasizes that this can only be done together with fearless unity. In chapter 2, he provides an outline or an instruction manual on how to achieve this kind of unity that is so necessary for us to advance the gospel by leading a humble, selfless, others oriented life that looks to serve in whatever way there is a need. He says that if we do this willingly and joyfully that we will shine as lights in the world and bring glory to our Father in heaven. But he doesn't just give us instructions on how to achieve this unity. He then points to an example, the best example. He points to Jesus. He points to his death and his life and his resurrection. And he says, look to how Jesus lived his life and patterned your own life after him. What follows then is our passage today, where we have two examples of people who followed or patterned their life after Jesus in Timothy and Epaphroditus as they have this others-oriented gospel-advancing service that they live in their own lives. So he begins in verse 19. excuse me, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered of news of you. Who is Timothy? In Acts chapter 16, we see for the first time Paul and Timothy coming together. They have their first interactions, and Timothy was a disciple. He was a disciple, uh, a, a young person that had been kind of growing up in the church. His uh grandmother and his mother both had a huge influence on his life. They were both Jewish. His father was a Gentile. And it says that Timothy was a disciple who was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. And after meeting Timothy, Paul invites him to join them on the, his missionary journey. So when Paul meets Timothy... He must have made some sort of impression through knowledge of his word, through Christ-like character, in such a way that Paul was willing to extend an invitation for Timothy to join them on this great adventure of sharing the gospel to all nations. What a testimony. Parents, let this be an encouragement to you. Disciple your children. Wash them in the word. Teach them to follow Jesus so that when they have the opportunity to advance the gospel, when that invitation is given to them, they'll be ready. Timothy was ready for the call from Paul to join him on his journey. And as he did journey with Paul from city to city through the Mediterranean, their bond grew stronger. Paul says in verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I have no one like him. Timothy stands in a league of his own. This isn't the only place that we see Paul placing total confidence in sending Timothy ahead of him. Listen to what he says to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, I urge you then, Corinthians, to be imitators of me, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ and how I teach them to every church everywhere. And so we see that Paul has total confidence that when he sends Timothy, he's literally sending an extension of himself. Paul writes to the Philippians that Timothy's concern for them is totally genuine, that his motives are completely cured. And you can tell the difference, right? You know when someone is being kind to you or pleasant, just kind of out of obligation. And that's not very fun, is it? But Paul, he assures the Philippian church, that's not how Timothy views you. It's not an obligation or a duty for him to be kind to you. No, his love is genuine. His love is pure. And the reason was because Paul and Timothy, they were kindred spirits. They had the same attitude, the same mind. They were completely sold out for one thing, and that was advancing the gospel, speaking the truth boldly, loving Radically, that's what they lived their life for, uh, their life by, loving God and loving others. In verse twenty-one, it says, "For they seek for everyone else seeks after their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ." Timothy's interests are aligned with those of Christ. This passage reminds me of when Jesus is with his disciples. And he's telling them, hey, listen, I am going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be killed. But don't worry because I am going to rise again. And Peter, his right hand man, kind of takes Jesus by the the shoulder and says, listen, dude, that's not how you keep a following. You need to keep those thoughts to yourself. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter's interests were not aligned with those of Jesus. Pretty powerful words, considering this is a man who literally follows in the footsteps of Jesus. He is to, Peter is to Jesus what Timothy is to Paul, right? He's his right hand guy. And so we see just how easy it is for our focus and our priorities in life to become misaligned with Christ. Even Peter did it. We have to keep watch over our hearts with all diligence because the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's just looking for that chink in your armor to where he can attack. And so Paul says that Timothy is totally aligned with Christ's interest and not of his own. We can't read this without being reminded of what Paul had said just a few paragraphs earlier in verse four through five. He says, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. So what are Christ's interests that he's talking about?
1: Caring for others,
0: demonstrating God's love toward them, sacrificially. What does Jesus say in the book of John? He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Paul is showing us that Timothy is a display of this others-oriented, sacrificial, selfless living, just like his master, Jesus. Yes, he's sharing travel plans. Yes, he's saying, I'm going to send Timothy ahead of me and then I'll come afterwards. But church, he's sharing so much more. He's telling us that Timothy is an example, a pattern that we can live our own lives after. This young man that's not but 20 years of age. This young man that was not but 20 years of age. For all my young people in the room. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for all the believers in speech, in conduct, in the way that you love, in the way that you demonstrate your faith, in the way that you pursue purity. Let your life be one that is a pattern for others to pattern their own life after. For all of my more seasoned friends in the room, I've been a youth pastor for a long time. I've spent a lot of time with young people. Uh, I'm still trying to recover from the lock-in that we had a week ago. Uh, And the daylight saving situation is not helping me. Um, Sometimes I'm blown away by how ridiculous their conversations can be. Like just ridiculous. Some of the things that they talk about. But on the flip side of that, there are times that I'm absolutely blown away by how God has revealed himself to them and is equipping them to be able to handle the difficult things that they are facing. And let's be real,
1: they are facing some things today that
0: we didn't have to deal with. Even me, I'm not that far removed from the season of life that they were in, but they are dealing with things that I never had to come up against. But God is faithful. God is faithful to equip young people to be able to be lights in dark places. And so we need to, when we have conversations with them, recognize that the Lord is revealing himself to them as much as he's revealing himself to us. And if we take the time to stop and to listen to them and to learn from their experience, we'll realize that there's wisdom there for us to apply to our own lives. There's an invitation there to learn, but then there's also a warning there as well. Because oftentimes with years of experience, sometimes we think years of experience equals wisdom and understanding, and that's not always the case. So if you have not sought the Lord through Scripture, if you have not devoted your life to following Jesus, then there may be opportunity for you to humble yourself And look past the age of someone and acknowledge that you have something that you could learn from them as well. Amen? So, Timothy is this uh, example that Paul gives us of what it looks like to follow Jesus, regardless of how old he might be. In verse 22, he continues, but you know Timothy's proven worth." I was a son with the Father. He has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Look how Paul writes about Timothy as a son with the Father. In his letters to Timothy, we have 1 Timothy and we have 2 Timothy. This is how he addresses Timothy. Timothy in those letters, he says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith. And then in 2 Timothy, he says, To Timothy, my beloved child. They had this intimate bond. You read verses like these, and then you read Paul's letters to Timothy, and you realize that they had this very special friendship, this partnership in the gospel. And at the beginning of Philippians 2, Paul. He's writing to the church and he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of and of one mind. In other words, nothing would make Paul happier than if the church of Philippi got to experience the joy of Christian community the way that Timothy and he had gotten to enjoy it. Because of the gospel, Timothy and Paul had special friendship. Because of the gospel, they had a unique bond. Because of the gospel, they were unified in heart, mind, and soul. Because they put aside their own interests and they were fully aligned in the interests of Christ Jesus. Laser focused on the gospel. And so my young friends in the room, you want to have better relationships? With your parents, your friends, or your siblings, live out the gospel. Live out the gospel. Look to their interests more to your own. Parents, you want to have better relationships with your children? Live out the gospel. Look to their interests more than your own. You want to have better relationships with your co-workers or your friends, regardless of what season of life you're in, whatever stage you're in, live out the gospel. Live out the gospel at work, live out the gospel at home, live out the gospel at the grocery store, at the gas station, live out the gospel and watch Christian community start to weave itself into the fabric of your life. And you will begin to recognize that your life is more fulfilled, more joy-filled, more life-giving than you ever thought or imagined because you have chosen to weave in the gospel in every place, saying other people are of more value than myself. I'm going to treat them the way that Jesus has treated me. And Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Verse 25, Paul transitions from talking about Timothy to talking about Epaphroditus. He says, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. We don't know much about Epaphroditus except for the fact uh, of what we see here in the text, right? He was from Philippi. He was sent by the church to aid Paul in his mission. And Paul values Epaphroditus. He calls him a brother. He says that he's a fellow soldier. He says that he's a a fellow worker for the gospel. So Paul honors him. And he says that through Epaphroditus, we're given this other example of someone who's patterned their life after Jesus Christ. In verse 26, 26, he says, So we don't know what kind of illness Epaphroditus had had, but the church had caught wind that he was, he was ill and they were worried about him, right? But again, we see this example through Epaphroditus and Paul of being others-oriented. Because it's ironic that Paul is the one that's stuck in prison, And Epaphroditus is the one that nearly died from some illness. But their focus is not on themselves, but they're more concerned about the church that's heard about these things and might be worried about them. And so their concern is for a worried church, not about their own state of affairs. It's interesting that Paul admits to being anxious here. And it's interesting because in Philippians chapter 4, he really presses in and challenges the church not to be anxious. So the fact that he's admitting being anxious while challenging them not to be anxious is, is a little bit odd. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So he's not only just challenging them, but he's assuring them. Christ gives you peace, so there's no need to be anxious. Just go to him with whatever it is you're worried about. But then here he's talking about being worried. So what's going on? Well, John Piper, he, he addresses this. The Greek word is merimnao. Merimnao is Anxious. And so Jesus, he uses Marimnao when he talks to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you have been anxious about many things, but only one thing really matters. Only one thing really matters, and that's what your sister Mary has focused on, spending time with me. And I'm not going to take that away from her. And then again, Jesus uses Marimnao when he's talking on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Be anxious. For not, no, what does he say? That's what Paul says. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things. You don't need to worry about those. Your heavenly father is going to provide everything that you need. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Don't not oh, don't be anxious.
1: So John Piper, he
0: makes this distinction. He says that there's a godly merimnao, and then there's a worldly merimnao. He says that in chapter two, the anxiety that Paul is feeling is different than the anxiety he's worried, or he's warning the church about in chapter four. He says that a godly merimnao is one that is others-oriented. It's faith-filled. It's focused on other people. And God has given you a compassion or a concern for them that's so deep that you do have a level of anxiety, right? A level, a deep concern for other people. But then when we look at a worldly anxiety, it is faithless. It's fear-filled, and it gives you this worry that God is not going to come through or not going to provide, and usually it's focused on yourself. And so Paul expresses a godly merimnao here when he's talking about wanting to give Epaphroditus back to the church so that they would be less anxious, right? He's not even worried about himself at all. Verse 29, so receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He nearly died, just like his master, Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Epaphroditus is to be honored. Why? Because he followed in the footsteps of his master. He was willing to give up his life to complete his service for the church to God. Epaphroditus is another example of someone who is laser focused on advancing the gospel. He had experienced God's love in such a way that he was willing to lay his life down for it. He had experienced God's love through Christian community. He had experienced God's love through the washing of the word. He had experienced God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was convinced that it was worth laying his life down for And So he risked it all. No doubt he would echo the words of Paul. To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in this passage, Paul, he gives us three examples of others-oriented, selfless, sacrificial living in Jesus, in Timothy, in Epaphroditus. And at the beginning of this message, I gave you a fourth example of Jim Elliot and his friends, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, Roger Eadorian, Nate Saint, they should be honored as well. They should be honored because they experienced Christ in such a way that they were willing to put their own lives at risk for the sake of telling other people about God's love. They humbled themselves to the point of being obedient, even to the point of death. Several years after their death, the widow of Jim Elliot, Elizabeth, and the sister of Nate saint, Rachel, they returned back to Ecuador as missionaries to live among the Acas. And many uh, of the people there, they gave their lives over to Jesus, including some of those that were involved in the murder of their loved ones. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life. his friends. What about us? Have we experienced God's love in a way that we're willing to lay our lives down for the sake of advancing the gospel? Because if we're willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel, then what are we not willing to lay down, right? If we're willing to lay down our lives, then we're also willing to lay down our comfort. We're willing to lay down our reputation. We're willing to lay down our friendships. We're willing to lay down our jobs. We're willing to lay down the plans that we've made for our future. And so I invite you this week to take time to reflect on if your interests really do align with those of Christ Jesus, or if you're seeking after your own interests. And if you realize, after taking a good, hard look in the mirror, that they don't align, go to God with that. He's not surprised by it. He already knows. Simply ask Him for the desire to be more like Jesus, to be more like Timothy, Be more like Epaphroditus, Jim Elliott, and his friends. Jesus says that the moment you give your life away, the moment you give your life away is the precise moment that you'll find it. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you been filled with the joy of his presence? Your life is not your own. Your life was meant for more than just making money and planning that next vacation. You were made for more. I wonder what change might happen in your life if you just let the Lord Jesus Christ lead you. Would you do it today? I promise that it will be the most life-giving experience you've ever had. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for examples of people that have been laser focused on the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would align our interests to be with yours, Lord. God, we just confess that we're not perfect and that we become selfish at times and we get focused on the wrong things and Lord we know that the only way that changes is if we cling to you if we draw close to you if we abide in you so Lord we abide in you Father, we pray that you would just intertwine your heart with ours, that you would give us desires that are your desires, that you'd take out bad ones, replace them with the good ones, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours, that you give us eyes to see this community the way that you see them, that you would give us opportunity to be able to share the gospel, to be able to share the hope that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would put it on the tip of our tongue, that we would Wear it on our sleeve, that the name of Jesus would be something that we would give freely, that we would give it boldly, regardless of the consequence, that we would hope in you, that our joy would come from you, that we would taste and see that you are good, and that we would fall in love with you, God. I pray for this church, I pray for everyone here, that they wouldn't give in to the lies of the enemy, that they wouldn't give in to this lie that this world is for them. It's not for them, Lord. Give us eyes to see. I pray that we would embrace that adventure with you, God, that adventure of sharing the gospel with everyone, Lord. That we would see you and experience you in ways that we never thought possible before. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just come right now and anoint these people, set them apart for good purposes, Lord. Reveal to them places that they need to confess to you, God, and that they need to come home so that they can be the people that you have called them to be. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. We're praying for you. And uh, we're the church that radically loves, serves, and encourages. God bless. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week. And remember, we are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.